Hello, everyone online. Thank you for joining us. It's such a privilege to be here. Uh, Pastor Terry is a dear friend of mine, and we've been involved in convening some prayer meetings uh, across the city of all these different pastors. Actually, the room that I get to preach from today is a room that often has 50-plus pastors from all over the city praying together and looking out over the city. So San Francisco is known for many, many things. But through the work of Pastor Terry and others and the foundation of churches like Cornerstone, there is a unity across the wider body of Christ that is here that brings a lot of hope and encouragement to all the Christians living in this city. So getting to preach from this room where so much prayer has gone up, um, not only in the last number of years, but for decades, is a real privilege and a pleasure. So I, I am so grateful to be here. Uh, I planted a church in San Francisco about 13 years ago. Um, my wife and I came out with then two sons. We now have three. Uh, my boys are 20, 15, and 12, and we've had the privilege of raising them in San Francisco as well. Uh, we have seen God do so much in this city and, and bring so much light into the midst of darkness and do so much that's so restorative, and it's just so encouraging to be here. So if you'll pray with me, I have the privilege of sharing uh, from Romans 8 today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer, and we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we get to come together and believe that you will meet us even as we are working through this text together. I pray, Lord, that as I speak, I would faithfully proclaim your word, and I pray that you would just work through the power of your Holy Spirit to apply this word to all of our hearts, Lord. I pray whether someone is exploring faith or has been a Christian for decades, that you will encourage each and every one of us where we need to be encouraged that you will challenge us where we need to be challenged, and that you will make your love real for us, Lord. Help us to abide in your love. Help us to abide in your presence. Help us to believe in your work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how we view God, and we know this, but how we view God really shapes everything about our lives. And that's why I love the this, this, this series that you guys are doing in this abiding idea. If I'm really abiding in God, if I'm really resting in who he is and who he's made me to be, that makes all the difference in everything. And, and this isn't just a truth in the Gospel of John. This is a truth, obviously, from Genesis to Revelations. It's especially true in the work that the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Romans, I'm going to be sharing today from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. But if we take a step back and look at what the Apostle Paul is doing in the whole book of Romans, he is really trying to help us, the readers, throughout the times and ages, understand who God is and then who they are as a result. Everything we are as image bearers of God is tied to who God is because God is the one in whom we are created in his image. And so we're created to live with God and to live for God and, and really in many ways to be conformed into Christ's image and to be like God. It's what theologians call a, a theological anthropology, that our understanding of humanity cannot be separated from our understanding of God. We can't understand what it means to be a human being truly without beginning and ending with God. And then everything we know flows from that place of identity, that I, that I build this anthropology, I build this understanding of what it means to be human based on what God tells me in his word, and then I let that understanding shape all of my life. And again, not perfectly, we all have sin, we all struggle, but we let the truths of God's word shape everything about us. We, we see this imagery so powerfully in, in John chapter 15, don't we? Where Jesus says that, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And if you play on that analogy for a little bit, you can understand that if, if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, everything about our life and our energy and our power comes from that vital connection we have to the vine. That if we are not connected to the vine, what happens to a branch? It dies, it withers. 
But if we're connected to the vine, all that vital power and energy and shaping force comes out through the vine into our branch, and then we're able to bear fruit. It follows on a similar kind of analogy that Jesus gave uh, earlier in chapter 7, where he says that, that a heart has been, that has been renewed is, is, is streams of living water flow from it. We have all this imagery in scripture where there's this inner transformation and change, and out of that comes the life that we're called to live. Actually, this, this imagery in John chapter 15 was so powerful for me that the logo of our church is that vine. Everything that we're hoping to do in our lives, everything I'm hoping to do through my church and with the other churches and in this city, it all comes back to that vital connection that we have to the vine. The Bible, the teaching of Jesus, none of it's just about moral directives. Everything is about trying to help us root our identity in this world through Jesus and then let God work in and through us. That's what everything's about. The power of the Holy Spirit and who God is drives everything forward. There's another terminology that, that theologians use where they call it the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is a statement of who you are, and the imperative is, is what you're called to do. And what you'll find in Scripture is that the imperative, what we're called to do, is always rooted in the indicative. We don't perform to become. We live out of a deep identity in God. We live as adopted children trying to figure out what God's called us to do through the power of His Holy Spirit. Everything about how God relates to us now is, is because He's changed our identity. It's because we are now dearly loved sons and daughters. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are an unconditionally, dearly, now and forever loved daughter or son. That's who he's made you to be. This truth came home to me so powerfully a few Christmases ago. Uh, I have three boys, as I mentioned earlier, and I was shopping for Christmas presents. And I was shopping for Christmas presents because I want to bless my boys. Why? Because they're my boys and I'm their father. Now, I wasn't walking up and down the aisles thinking, you know what, my oldest son did a really good job of obeying me this year, and so I'm going to buy him a bigger gift. My younger son, not so great. I'm going to buy him a smaller gift. My middle son, kind of hit and miss. I guess I'll get him an okay gift. I was, I was not measuring my affection based on their obedience towards me. What was I doing? I, with the heart of a, even a broken earthly father was looking to bless and demonstrate my love to my kids. And so I was leaning into a spirit of generosity because they're my kids. Think about how much more your heavenly father is not relating to you based on your performance or your obedience or how you're measuring up. No, your heavenly father is looking down on you as someone that has been dearly loved and adopted into his now and forever family. Listen to what we learn about our identity in Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. What do we learn about our identity in that passage? Well, first of all, we learn that, that sin is all about destruction and taking you away from God and all that God's made you to be. One of my favorite quotes from a preacher in Asia says that, that we should not be fooled, that if we jump into water, we're going to get wet. 
If we jump into fire, we're going to get burned. If we jump into sin, we're going to get destroyed. It's its very nature. But we're not bound by that destructive power of sin and death any longer. If you're in Jesus, you have now received a spirit of adoption. The spirit testifies to you deep at a deep, deep level that you are a child of God and where you can cry out very personally to God, Abba, Father. You can cry out, Daddy. That's who God has made himself to be. You are a child of God, and you are a co-heir with Christ. The main idea I want us to go away with today is that who you are shapes how you live. That if we really live into this identity as children and as co-heirs, it'll change everything about the way we live our lives. That there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That we are freed up to be redeemed and renewed image bearers, to be the people that God's called us to be, and that can be powerfully just change everything about who you are. It can transform everything about how you're living. It doesn't matter what sins or struggles are entrapping you right now. The power of the Holy Spirit is in you, and God will work alongside of you to help shape you more and more into the person he's called you to be through the finished work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is not stepping back and waiting to see if you're going to measure up. God is diving in with you with the love of an unconditionally loving father to walk alongside of you and help shape your life. God is the foundation and the power. The father and the son and the Holy Spirit are working in you. The spirit unites you. That is who you are. And that makes all the difference. So first today, we're going to talk about this part of our identity where we're children of God. And secondly, we're going to talk about how we are co-heirs with Christ. And we're going to bring that back together to say that if we abide in these identities, it can positively and powerfully transform the way that we are living in our world today. So first, we we are children of God. And we see this in, in verse 15. We see it throughout all these verses, but it says so powerfully, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Because if you're without God, you are subject to to fear and destructive powers. But instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You are a child of God. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. That is the clear testimony of God's word. He is Abba, Father to you. He is Abba, Father to me. And if he is not yet Abba Father to you and you are listening online with us today, you're not tuned in by accident. God can and desires to be your unconditionally loving father. It just takes a simple prayer. God, please forgive me and please adopt me into your family. And just like that, through the power of God's word and the finished work of Jesus, his spirit will indwell you and bring you back to life and can testify to your spirit that God is your Abba Father. This intimacy of relationship can be yours. And if if your faith is maybe a little bit stale or dry and you're not feeling that intimacy today, you have the opportunity to, to come back to God, to ask God to help you be able to cry out, Abba, Father, to ask God to help you be more aware that his spirit is testifying to your spirit that you are a child of God. Is this truth shaping you? Is it shaping me? Do I wake up in the morning and and take a hold of this pleasure and this privilege of being called a child of God. And then, and then pray to God, God, I know I'm your child. Help me to live as your child in this day. Or, or am I really living a life that is kind of separate from my faith? 
Can, can I explain my life? Can you explain your life without God as a meaningful and foundational category? I'm not asking if you can recite some confession of faith. I'm not asking if you can tell me some things about what the Bible teaches. I'm saying, can you make sense of your life without God in the equation? God's invitation to us is to not just have him as a part of our lives, not just to have him in our equation, but to have his very foundation and power as that which gives meaning to all of our lives in a truly integrated and significant way. One of my favorite theologians is from uh, England. His name's Alistair McFadden, and he does a lot of studying of theology in the most broken parts of the world. He's actively working against sex trafficking. He goes out as a community patrol officer with, with his local police units in the most broken parts of his city because he believes that the truth of God's word can be most powerfully applied in the most broken places. In his book, Bound to Sin, he says this about the cultures that we are living in in the West. He says, arguments against God are not needed where mentioning or invoking God makes no perceptible difference to the way in which we understand and explain the world. For then talk of God becomes meaningless. Our common and collective habits of mind, spirit, and agency exclude God from consciousness. And here he's talking about the cultures that we live in. They don't require God. They don't integrate God. He goes on further. We live in our world as if there were no God, or at least a God who makes some actual difference to the way in which the world is to be interpreted, spoken about, acted in, and upon, no matter what personal beliefs or faith we may have. Hence, we live in a culture that shapes us all in our most basic ways of making sense of and intending ourselves and our world as practical atheists. That if we are not living, tapping into this identity, abiding in the presence of God, understanding that you are a child of God, if that's not shaping who you are, it can be so easy to live as a practical atheist. But what God is giving us the invitation to do is to integrate this part of who we are in him into everything about how we view our lives on a daily basis, to abide in him, to have that branch vitally connected to that vine, to have streams of living water flowing forth from a heart that has been renewed, to recognize that we can have no genuine, transformed, powerful life unless we are actively aware of, of the meaningful, foundational, transformative, unconditional love and presence of God our Father, Christ our Savior, and the Holy Spirit our empowerer. That is to be part of our daily reality, and it's an invitation that God gives us every single day when we wake up. We are invited freshly, newly, into God's transformative power and presence. We are invited to live differently, not because something about our lives mandates that we change, not because circumstances are going differently, but we're abided to live differently because we view all of our circumstances and all of our life in light of the reality of who God is and who he tells us we are. We, we can, in the, in, the, in the words of the book of Hebrews, we can come before the throne boldly. We get presence, we get access because of who God is and who he's made us to be. We can have a life of security knowing God's love, not because of anything we do, but because of what God has already done. And this imagery is throughout Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, think, listen to this imagery. And you saw in the wilderness how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all along the way you traveled until you reached this place. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses is inviting the reader to, to, to understand that truth. 
they were never alone, no matter what was going on in the wilderness, that their heavenly father carried them like a loving father, like a loving parent would carry a child. You've seen this, right? Maybe you've done this if you're a parent. When you're carrying a child, you do so lovingly and tenderly, and you're protecting that child. Your very presence is, is the, the child is sensing and experiencing your love and your protection. And that is what God wants us to sense from him, that, that he has embraced us. He is not standing far off from us. He is inviting us to abide with him. He is inviting us to take a hold of his presence. He is inviting us to take a hold of what it means to be a child of God. So what is this passage teaching us? What are these verses teaching us deeply about our identity? Well, there's a wonderful summary by theologian and pastor John Stott in his book, The Message of Romans. Listen to what he teaches us here in these verses. What is immediately noteworthy about this paragraph is that each of its four verses, in each of its four verses, God's people are designated his children or sons, which of course includes daughters. And that in each, this privileged status is related to the work of the Holy Spirit. Only in verse 16 is it said that the Spirit testifies that we are his children. Yet the whole paragraph concerns the witness he bears us, that is, the assurance he gives us. Isn't this beautiful? The question is, precisely how is the Spirit's witness born? Paul assembles four pieces of evidence. First, the Spirit leads us into holiness. He makes us more like Jesus. Verse 14 being linked to verse 13 by the conjunction because. Secondly, in our relationship to God, he replaces fear with freedom. Your loving heavenly father tells you that fear doesn't have to characterize your life, but freedom in his love and in his presence can characterize your life. What a beautiful promise. Thirdly, in our prayers, he prompts us to call God Father, Abba. He is prompting us to, to refer to him as daddy, as personal language, to come into the intimacy of his presence. Fourthly, he is the first fruits of our heavenly inheritance. Thus, radical holiness, fearless freedom, filial prayerfulness, and the hope of glory are four characteristics of the children of God who are indwelt and led by the Spirit of God. It is by these evidences that he witnesses to us that we are God's children. Just take that in for a moment. If you have faith in Jesus, God has made you now and forever his child. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. There isn't a power in the, in the seen or unseen realms that can separate you from the, from the power of God. There isn't anything that's going to happen in your life that can separate you from the power and the love of God. No matter what comes your way, good, bad, ugly, nothing can separate you from the power of God. There's a powerful story that Jesus uses to illustrate this uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And it's one that if you've been around Christianity any time, doubtless you've heard it. And it's the parable, the parable, the parable rather, of the prodigal son. And it's this, this beautiful story about how this younger son asks the father for all of his inheritance in advance. Basically wishing his father dead, he takes the stuff. He didn't want to be with the father. He wanted the father's stuff. And he goes off and he blows it. And he finds himself alone, destitute, friendless, without hope, eating with pigs in a horrible, horrible situation. And he thinks, even the, even the servants in my father's house live better than this. 
Maybe the Father will have mercy on me and I can go back and just live among the servants. It'll be better than this thing I'm finding myself in. And so he goes back. And far from his father reluctantly allowing him to be one of his servants, the father rushes out to him, runs out to him, and puts a fine robe on him, and weeps, and puts his arms around him, and welcomes him back in, into full fellowship. There's a a beautiful painting, a mural in a church in Spain that I came across a number of years ago. I want to show this image to you now. And this was done by a nun who had come back from a life of destructive, fleeing God, and had come back and embraced this understanding of God's love. And so she painted this beautiful mural that shows this image of the heavenly father in the, in the parable, of the father in the parable, welcoming his son back in. Look at this image for a minute. What does it make you think of? Can you experience God's love in that way? Is there an obstacle in your life that won't allow you to fully experience the embrace of your heavenly father? Because this painting is just an earthly image trying to get across how powerfully God loves you. God loves you now and forever. And nothing can separate you from that love because you are his child. In the same way that an earthly parent would be willing to do anything, sacrifice their lives for the welfare and the well-being of their kids, infinitely more so your heavenly father desires to have that relationship with you. Let let this image sink deep into your heart. Feel the embrace of your Father. Feel the unconditional love and acceptance of your Father. Let the Spirit testify to your spirit that you are a child of God. Let who you are then shape how you're living. Live in that confidence. Live in that security. Live with and for your Heavenly Father in this world. This passage teaches us not only are we children... But because we are children, we are also co-heirs. Listen to verses 16 and 17 again. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Our lives are united to the life of Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. First, we are children. Second, we are co-heirs. We are united to Jesus. Being with Jesus, being an heir with Christ, comes with status and responsibility. It teaches us about who we are, but it also teaches us then about how we are to live. And we see this in Scripture. God always works in us and then through us. He he gives us his unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness, and then asks us to be agents, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be his presence in this world. We can be light breaking into darkness. We can be hope breaking into hopelessness. We can bring forgiveness where there is only division. We have the power to do that because God now indwells us through his Holy Spirit. Because we are united to Christ, everything changes about who we are. Interestingly enough, the Apostle Peter uses the same language in the same way in 1 Peter 3, 7. He's telling husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, but he doesn't just tell them, be nice to your wife. He says, your wives are co-heirs with you. They are equal image bearers of God. They are entitled to dignity and to worth and to honor and to love. And if you don't treat your wives with dignity and worth and honor and love, then your heavenly father won't hear your prayers. He ties their identity to the way in which they're living. No one has the right to rob somebody else of their dignity and worth and honor. And he ties that directly in in such a beautiful and powerful way. 
that they don't just have the status of co-heir, they have the responsibility to live as one whose actions are being shaped by their identity. We see this powerful imagery of adoption and we see what it can do when it comes into our life and we understand it in a more powerful way. Jackson Wu in his commentary, reading Romans with Eastern eyes, says this way about this passage. When the spirit changes hearts, he transforms people's fundamental sense of honor and worth. Accordingly, Paul celebrates those whose circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And so their praise is not from man, but from God. They do not boast in the law. Such transformation yields hope since we see the new covenant bearing fruit in our lives for God's glory. A changed heart brings a changed identity. This has practical ramifications for God's people. They have a new allegiance. God's children please him. They have a new hope, being glorified with Christ, an incomparable glory to be revealed, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Being unified with Christ, sin is no longer their master. They are not enslaved to the things of which you are now ashamed. Reminiscent of Romans 5, 2 to 5, Paul naturally concludes that those who love God expect glorification that he changes everything about who you are, that, that your heavenly reality becomes brought down to earth and who God is and who he shaped you to be then shapes the way you're living in this life. Doesn't that make sense? And then we're called to, to live a life of sacrifice. We're, we're called to, to model our lives after the life of Jesus. And we don't do this just moralistically. We don't do this just externally. We do this because there's this inner change that God has brought into our lives in a very, very powerful way. We, we get to image God into this world. We get to show the world what God's love and forgiveness looks like. This is the privilege that we get. This is God's pleasure with you. Now, we're also called into a life of sacrifice. We, we are called to, to join Jesus in his work. You'll remember the words in John 20, 21, where, where Christ tells his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am now sending you. We are sent into the world in the same way that the Father sent Jesus into the world with his power and his presence coming alongside of us. Again, light breaking into darkness, love and forgiveness breaking into division and hopelessness. That's what God's done. We've been given the gift of the spirit dwelling within us. We have been given the gift of the spirit of adoption. We are children. And this life as children, just like for Jesus, is going to come with sacrifice and suffering. We're called to live it out in this world. We're called to lay our lives down to love and serve those, not just those we like, but even our enemies. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. We're called to embrace the pain and the suffering that might come with this life for the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. In the same way that Christ laid his life down for us and for others, we lay our lives down for Christ and for others. But we do all of this because our identity has been forever changed. We do all of this because we have received the spirit of adoption. We do this because who we are is shaping how we're living and who we are is children. Who we are is co-heirs. And we get to abide in these truths, not just abiding in these truths, but abiding with our heavenly father that teaches us these truths. We get to abide in the very presence and love of our heavenly father. And then that shapes how we live. Shapes everything about what we do in this world. We have hope. We have light, we have love, we have forgiveness. I want to bring us back in the closing minutes to this simple truth that I started with today. That, that if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. You are a co-heir. 
You are dearly loved now and forever. You get to abide with God now and forever. I'm going to tell a story that I heard for the first time a number of years ago, and it's, a, it's an earthly illustration of the power of a father's love in this world. Listen to these words and think about this father's love and think about what it teaches you about your heavenly father's love for you. It's about a, a horrible earthquake that hit Armenia in, in 1989. Everybody felt it. A moment of eerie silence, a low rumble. Then the ground began to shake. Buildings swayed and buckled, then collapsed like houses of cards. Less than four minutes later, over 30,000 were dead from a multitude 8.2 earthquake that rocked and nearly flattened Armenia in 1989. In the muddled chaos, a distressed father bolted through the winding streets, leading to the school where his son had gone earlier that morning. The man couldn't stop thinking about the promise he'd given his son so many times. No matter what happens, Armand, I'll always be there. He reached the site where the school had been, but saw only a pile of rubble. He just stood there at first, fighting back tears. And then he took off, stumbling over debris toward the east corner where he knew his son's classroom had been. With nothing but his bare hands, he started to dig. He was desperately pulling up bricks and pieces of wall plaster while others stood by watching in forlorn disbelief. He reached the site where the school, where, where the school had been. And he saw this pile of rubble and he goes to this corner and he's desperately pulling these things back while everyone is just telling him to give up. He heard someone grumble, forget it, mister, they're all dead. He looked up, flustered, and he replied, you can grumble or you can help me lift these bricks. Only a few pitched in, and most of them gave up once their muscles began to ache. But the man couldn't stop thinking about his son. He kept digging and digging for hours and hours. How long did he dig? 12 hours went by, and he kept digging. 18 hours went by, and he kept digging. 24 hours went by, and he kept digging. Can you imagine the fatigue? Can you imagine what this man was going through? But his love of his son was driving him to go farther. 36 hours passes, and he's still digging. Finally, into hour 38, he heard a muffled groan from under a piece of wallboard. He seized the board, pulled it up, and cried, Armand! From the darkness, there came a shaking voice. Papa! Other weak voices began calling out. As the young survivor stirred beneath the still uncleared rubble, gasps and shouts of bewildered relief came from a few onlookers and parents who remained. They found 14 students still alive. When Armand finally emerged, he tried to help dig until all of his surviving classmates were out. Everybody standing there heard him as he turned to his friends and said, See, I told you my father wouldn't forget us. That's the kind of faith we need because that's the kind of father we have. Your heavenly father will never leave you nor forsake you. The power of Christ has united you to God now and forever. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Let me invite you to abide in your father, in your brother Christ, in the powering presence of the Holy Spirit. Abide in these truths, abide in the person and work of God, and he will transform everything about how you live in this world. Truly who you are can and should shape how you live. 
in a moment after I pray, the band is going to close us out. And I want to invite us to continue to abiding in God, to continue to abiding in these truths, to continue to think about how your life can and will be shaped the more you embrace these truths. You are a dearly loved child now and forever. You have received the spirit of adoption. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ now and forever. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the love you expressed to us. We thank you for the unconditional love of Christ who laid his life down for us. We thank you for the power of the spirit that enables us to follow you day in and day out. I pray for anyone that is, that is listening today, Lord, that has not put their faith in you, that you'd help them to do that even now, that they might be able to cry out, Father, forgive me, adopt me, because of Christ, bring me into your family and make that word happen, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for anyone that's listening that is struggling in their faith, that you may strengthen them, that you may reassure them of your love and of the power of your presence. And I pray for all of us that we would leave this time together today with a deeper appreciation for your unconditional love and a deeper desire to live with you and for you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the band is going to pray, play. Thank you so much for being with us.
wow, you know, in my father's house, there's a place for me. There's a place for you. There's a place for me. You know, we are so loved. You are so loved. And I want to remind you of that. I don't want you to ever forget it. That's what we learned today, that the love of Christ is ours and that how we see ourselves in him affects everything. Do we see ourselves as his beloved son or his beloved daughter? If we do, it's going to change how we think about life, how we engage life, how we love people, how we work through our problems. You know, the Lord is with us. He's not far. He's near. <laughs> Let's surrender to his embrace. And, and I want to say this to all of you. Don't ever forget how truly loved you are. And my prayer for you is that the Lord would keep you in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your body. Yeah, and in your mind. That's my prayer and blessing over you in Jesus' name.